0: We're going to be back in 2 Corinthians this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you have your Bibles. It's good to see you all this morning. So I was thinking about, um, we're going to be talking about um, glorifying God this morning. As I was thinking about what it means to glorify God, certainly it has to do with, with honoring treating as important and it kind of reminded me a little bit of kind of what's happened over the past week here in our community uh, with our all of our graduates. I know we have some graduates in the room with us this morning and we took time as a church uh, to honor them, as well as mothers last week, uh, but if you just saw everything going on in the community this week, uh, different things to honor graduates, uh, it was really awesome. And I'm trying to remember back uh, when I graduated high school, all the uh, the fun and exciting things that happened, and I was just seeing those things this week, things like uh, the parade through the school and how exciting that was for all of them. Uh, of course, signs that were up around the community and around the school, and ads in the paper, pictures in the paper, all of those kind of things. Uh, then of course graduation itself, the ceremony's very memorable, uh, very fun thing to do with family and friends. Parties that happened, uh, a lot of people had graduation parties yesterday, maybe some are planning those today or have already had those this past week. On and on, there were many, many things planned and prepared to honor our graduates, thank you. Now as I think about uh, those kind of things, You know, I think similarly in our worship, not just daily worship, but particularly our corporate worship, coming together like we have this morning, certainly we want everything that we do in this place to honor God. You know, over the fall we had a... um, series that we went through on the different elements of worship. You may remember that if you were here with us and why those things were important. We talked about the importance of preparing our hearts in worship. We talked about the different things like prayer and singing and uh, preaching, all of those kind of things. Well, one of the aspects that we talked about through that and the importance of it was giving. And when we think about giving, Just like we should strive in all aspects of our worship to glorify and honor God, individually and corporately, our giving should be done in a way that glorifies and honors the Lord. This morning I've entitled the message, God's glory in our generosity. God's glory in our generosity. Now I realize talking about giving and those kind of things uh, in the church or just in general, a lot of people are sensitive to that when it comes to money. But here's the reality, I know that the Bible shows us and demonstrates that God's plan for growing his kingdom involves regular active giving of his people in the ministry of the local church. God's Word shows us that time and time again through the Old Testament that was modeled through the temple, through the New Testament that was modeled through the believers giving through the ministry of the local church that they were in to help the mission work advance. And as we look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, how Paul was appealing to them to get the collection they started for the church in Jerusalem completed. They had begun it, they had stopped it for, for various reasons and Paul was getting ready to send someone to collect this offering and he wanted it to be complete so that way it would help and benefit the ministry of the church in Jerusalem. Now I want you to think just for a moment about what that would have been like in that day and time, how important that would have been. All in that day and time there were uh, Christians who were being persecuted, it was, it was not a popular thing by any means to be a Christian. And so churches literally had to come together to support one another. And as churches started in different places, I mean, they were, just had a few members and, and had to receive support from other churches to get them off the ground, get them going. And as different needs took place, like famines and hardships, man, it, it was up to other churches to step in and help people who were going through difficult times. And so that's why Paul was appealing to them to get this collection finished, And he's going to continue here in verse 16, talking about the church's offering as they are doing this collection, how they have to consider it, uh, and how they have to do it in a way that honors and glorifies God. And so in this passage, we're going to find that Paul's going to inform us, and from this we're going to consider how to glorify God through our church's generosity In three different ways. Now I rarely tell you my three points up front, but I'm going to do it today because I want you to look for these three ways as we go through. We're going to look at the administration of the offering, we're going to look at the actual collection of the offering, and then we're going to look at the expectations that we have uh, of the offering. And so we're going to look at these because Paul addresses every single one of these in here. Before we dig into God's Word, though, I want to spend a minute uh, just to go to the Lord in prayer, ask Him to open our hearts and our ears and our minds to His Word, to His Spirit, and uh, that we would grow from our time together. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, I know that as we approach this subject, Lord, there are different uh, feelings among us regarding giving and, and money and all of those kind of things, but we're thankful, Lord, that everything, every single thing we have from you is from you. We, we're thankful, Lord, that uh, you have given our church resources and ways to continue your ministry, to see your kingdom grow. And Lord, from your word today, I pray that we would see uh, the truth that you have from, for us, and, and from that we would move uh, in obedience. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave these types of things unaddressed for us to have to just, feel out, but Lord, uh, you give us guidance on this, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin in verse 16 of chapter 8, and we're actually going to go through the end of chapter 9, but instead of reading the entirety of this passage all at once, I want to go through it by each section. So let's begin in verse 16 of Second Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, let me encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, to just grab one there in front of you. He writes, thanks be to God Who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus? For he welcomed our appeal and, being very diligent, went out to you by his own choice. We sent him with the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. And not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gracious gift that we are administering for the glory of the Lord Himself and to show our eagerness to help. We are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we are administering. Indeed, we're giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. We've also sent with them our brother. We've often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent, and now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and co-worker for you. As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show them proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you. Now here as he writes, he remembers really one of the big reasons for him writing, and he recalls this, is the fact that the Corinthian church was having some trouble trusting him as a leader, not so much in the realm of money or anything like that, but more so in the realm of just teaching and those kind of things because there were false teachers, folks that he will later in the the letter call super apostles, that they were undermining his ministry and trying to make him seem like a faulty leader. And so because of this, he knew, hey, if, if I'm telling people who don't really trust me to take up a large collection and let me help administer it, they're probably not going to be super excited about doing that. And so here he understands they're having trouble trusting him, and so he went out of his way to make sure that they knew that they could trust what was going to happen with the money. And he appeals to different leaders, a couple of brothers who have been approved by other churches, and Titus, who who has been mentored in a lot of ways and and is a a minister of the gospel. He goes out of his way to make sure they understand that all of these come not recommended just by him, but by other churches in the area for their integrity, for their faithfulness, and for their dedication to the gospel ministry. Now, let's be honest today. There aren't many places that people trust with their money? There aren't. But I think if there's any place that a person should be able to trust with their money, it's the church. But again, I know that the world is a broken place and we're all sinful people in different ways and therefore sin happens within the church. Sin can happen and does happen in ways that causes people to not be able to trust the church with their money. We see this throughout uh, different avenues like, for instance, when uh, pastors who uh, are on TV always talking about sending in your collection, sending in your donation, and they're flying across the world in their private jets and living in houses that are large enough to be hotels. It's hard to trust the church with money when we see those things happen. For some of you who have been here a long time, you know that what I'm talking about is very real to our church. Those of you who have come since I've been here may not have a clue what I'm talking about but several years ago our church found out that a large sum of money from our church had been embezzled embezzled by one of the secretaries who was at our church at that time. If you Google our church's name you'll find the news articles that popped up and since then um, that person is no longer part of our church and And the judicial process has taken place and all those kind of things. But those are very real pains, very real hurts that our church experienced. And I know as a result of that, whether we meant to or not, likely some people in our church, it put them in a place where they had a difficult time trusting maybe just our church or churches in general with money. And I understand that. But as we look at this passage, it gives us some overall clarification on how the offering should be administered in a church. I want you to look at verse 21 and 22 in particular in this passage. It says, Indeed, we are giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. He goes on to say, We've also sent with them our brother we've often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent, and now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. A couple of things that I think are worth noting here is that those who administer the offering, and what I mean by that is those who are involved in the actual collection of it, the counting of it, the depositing of it, the spending of it, all of those kind of things, those should be done by people who are trustworthy, people who the church has seen as trustworthy, people who the pastors have seen as trustworthy, and don't get me wrong, I understand over and over and over that multiple times across the nation, things have happened by people we thought were trustworthy. Now, again, we live in a broken world that goes through difficult times, but as much as we're able We should try to make sure we're doing this in a trustworthy way, not just from a church's perspective, but individually. So let me just say for you, if you are involved in any of those aspects that have to do with the administration of our offering, remember that when you do that with honor and integrity and trustworthiness, you are honoring and glorifying the Lord by doing that. And not only are you doing that, you are helping our church to honor and glorify the Lord in our offerings by being faithful to that. And so I think this instruction tells us that it should be collected and counted by trustworthy people, approved by the church, but I think there's part of this that when you look at verse 21, it says we're giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. There's part of it that the reality is that an offering should go toward what we say it's gonna go toward about being good stewards, right? If we're gonna do kingdom-minded work, we should do kingdom-minded things. And so as people give toward a particular offering or weekly in our general offering, it should go for the things that we say that it's gonna go for. And that's so important that churches hold on to this. And let me just say, one reason why I love giving to the local church is that I truly believe, and let me just be more specific, One reason why I believe giving to this local church is that I truly believe that we can trust that all of our monies will go for kingdom-minded work here. I truly believe that. You know, I came in right after all of that craziness happened, but yet there's not been a week go by since then that I haven't trusted that everything is being handled properly and rightly by trustworthy people and people with integrity. You know, as you think about what the monies go for, the kingdom-minded work that's happening, I mean, where else can you give, as I say quite often, where else can you give that has an eternal impact? You know, when you feed people here or, or give to, to ministries that maybe clothe people or, or help people in various uh, physical ways, when you do that, not only is it helping clothe them or feed them but it's also showing them the love of God and showing them the gospel where else can you give that as you put your monies in together with people in this community like we're in this community together we're partnering together where else can you do that locally that affects missions all across the world you know that's one of the great things about the cooperative program with the Southern Baptist Convention that I love that every dollar we give a portion of it goes to affect ministries worldwide that sometimes we don't even have a clue what we're doing. Things like Bible translations and the gospel getting to unknown people groups, on and on and on. They're huge things. And this summer I'm excited about um, some missionaries that will be coming and talking to us a little bit more about how we can partner with the gospel going across the world. And some of that is just, like that is just part of what some of our monies here go for. But all in all, our purpose, our mission here is to be kingdom-minded. And so to honor God with our offerings, we have to make sure as a church that we're honoring Him in the administration. And so for a second, I want to be an encouragement today to those who are part of this administering our offerings. If you help take up the offering each week, When you do that with honesty and integrity, you're helping us glorify the Lord. If you transport our offering from upstairs to downstairs to the safe, when you do that with honesty and integrity, you are helping us honor the Lord. And I want to thank you for that. To the folks who count our offerings, deposit our offerings each week, when you do that with integrity and in a trustworthy way as you do, you are helping us glorify and honor the Lord and those who help administer our offerings in in various stewardship aspects, whether that be the budget and finance committee or other things, you are helping us glorify and honor the Lord, and to be quite honest, we take all of these things for granted. Our church has experienced the pain and hurt of when that hasn't happened in years past, and so today I wanna thank you for helping us honor the Lord in these ways, with your integrity, your trustworthiness. All of that's important, and all of that's essential, and Paul saw that as essential in the church of that day. Uh, and it's interesting. We think that some of the church's problems that we have are unique for today. It's all, some of these things have always existed, and so that's why he took time to address that. But now I want to show you the actual collection of it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Now concerning the ministry to the saints... It is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty, and so that you would be ready, just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. So here at this point, he's challenging them and pushing them to finish this offering, collect this offering, telling, him, telling them that people are ready to receive it, But understand, he's saying, that I want you to be willing to give it, not feel like we're extorting you out of it or anything, but you are the ones who committed to give it, and so let's finish it. And then look at what he goes on to say. Verse 6. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it's written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. I wanna talk just a few moments about, in particular, uh, these last verses. I think it's clear in scripture, not just in this portion, but in various parts of scripture, that how we give matters. And certainly he, he says plainly here that churches are not to extort people for money, They shouldn't be about guilting people, but rather if we really want to see kingdom advancement happen, if we really care about the kingdom of God as believers and as a church, we should be willing to give and eager to give generously to see that happen in our area and across the world. And so again, we shouldn't feel obligated to give. We should want to give. But then the question comes up, or the question is answered in verse 6 through 9 a little bit and I'm going to get on this in just a second, but how much should we give? How much should we give? I don't know if you've ever considered that, how much you should give. But the question is important because I think this text is very clear that there's a way that we give that honors God, and there's a way that we can also give that doesn't honor God. And we have to consider the answer to this question for every single one of us, how much should we give? And I think the principle for this is found in verse 7. Look at what it says. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, this tells us again that nobody should be made to give, we should want to give, but how much should that be? You know, we shouldn't be reluctant about it, we, should, we shouldn't feel like, uh, you know, extorted or anything like that, but we should want to give, but how much should it be? Well, one of the primary um, thoughts, and I'll say traditions, throughout the years of Christianity has been the principle of tithing. The principle of tithing actually comes out of the Old Testament. Tithe means a word for tenth. And I'll just say that that many Christians throughout the years have practiced tithing, and we think we're doing the same thing that they did in the Old Testament. In some ways we are. Uh, But in actuality, in the Old Testament, Israel gave two tithes every year and another tithe every three years. So in other words, they gave two and a third tithes every year. That's what they did. And so in some ways, we're kind of modeling it, but we're not doing exactly what they're doing. But I, I love this the tradition of the tithe because it doesn't matter how much or how little you have, it kind of adjusts, right? A tenth is a tenth, no matter how much or little, and that's something that we can strive toward, and that's something that Christians have done throughout the years. And I can tell you this, I know this because there have been studies done on it, there have been... Um, many ideas floating around about it, that if every Christian decided in their heart that they were going to tithe, the church would have plenty of resources. Now, again, this is an Old Testament type of concept. This is the tradition. What does the New Testament actually teach? Well, the New Testament is very clear about generous giving. And so uh, in the Christian world today, you know, theologians, they debate on should it be a tithe, Or should it just be generous giving? And I think we tend to go one way or the other based on how we, whichever way makes us feel good, right? If whatever we're doing, whichever way kind of justifies what we're doing, we tend to to err toward that side. But what you see here, look again, here in this particular passage in verse seven, what it says is each person should do as he has decided in his heart. What does that mean? It means that there's no specific mandate, but that it's between you and God, what you offer to God, and you should be able to leave feeling good about what you've offered to God. So in other words, in giving as anything in worship, we should leave in good faith, knowing that we gave our best to God and that how we gave and how much we gave honored him And as this verse says, each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Imagine for just a moment that a husband is out running errands. And as he's running errands, he calls his wife and says, Honey, I'm going to bring home dinner. You name your favorite place and I'll bring you home some some dinner after I'm done running errands. And so she names her favorite place. He says, No problem. I'll bring it home. Uh, Just give me a little while to finish up and I'll be there. He shows up. He's got a to-go bag from her favorite place. She sits down, gets ready to eat it. She takes out the box. She opens it up. And she finds that while it is from her favorite place, what's in the box is actually the leftovers from the meal that he had there. Now, how do you think something like that would go over? Not very well, right? What well, started as... You know something that he was going to do that was special for her, to honor her, ended up a total flop. Now some of you, I hope you all haven't done that. Some of you may have done that before and you know what I'm talking about the hard way. Uh, and trust me, I, if you have done that, I don't know your story. I just made this up this week, okay? So don't, don't think somebody's telling on you. Um, but think about how she would feel in those moments. How she would feel knowing what she got that was supposed to be special for her, set aside for her, were actually his leftovers. How many of us, instead of giving to honor God, we give our leftovers? You know, we have fun, spend what we want during the week. If we have a few dollars left at the end of the week, we'll give them what's left over. When you think about honoring and glorifying God, what says I honor you, what says I want to glorify you, what says I prioritize you, says I'm going to put that first in my life. Not give you leftovers, but I'm going to put that first in my life. That's how we show God that we honor him and that we care about growing his kingdom. And so giving that honors God is giving from the heart. It's generous. It puts God first. And it says that when we leave worship, because each person should do as he has decided in his heart, and that God loves a cheerful giver, that every single one of us, when we leave worship, should leave feeling good about all aspects of our worship, that it honored God and glorified God, and that includes in our giving. But again, that's between you and the Lord. That's for you to pray about. That's for you to think about. But as you consider that today, I think we have to consider are we honoring God with how much we've given? But then I want to stop and consider what we can expect from our giving. You know, I think most of us, when we give, there's a general expectation that we have from our giving. I don't know what that expectation that you have is. It might be the same as what I have. It might be different than what I have. But all of us have some sort of expectation. And I think the Bible teaches that it it's right to have some expectation with our giving. However, let me just say this, we need to make sure that the expectations that we have from the monies that we give and what happens with them afterwards and and the blessings and all that that we expect back, all of that, we have to make sure that it's the same as God's expectations. So let's look here uh, for just a second at verse 10 through 15. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food, will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That's talking about God. He's provided all of our resources that we have. And so he says he, it says he's the one that's going to multiply it and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When you think about expectations, that word in and of itself, it signals that something should happen. There is a radio ad that plays a lot um, for a financial organization uh, out of Bowling Green that promises if you uh, invest certain monies with them and certain funds that you should be able to expect certain types of return on your money. And so they say, if you put your money here, there are certain expectations you can have or should have with your money. I think the same is true what God is telling us here. If we put our monies together, collect them together, there are certain expectations that we can and should have. And again, we have to make sure they're biblically correct because there are all kinds of of misguided uh, TV preachers and other preachers that will tell you things like, if you give your money that God has promised in within five years that you'll, you know, have triple your money back. And there are are pastors and, and preachers on TV that will tell stories of people who couldn't make a house payment, but they gave every dollar they had, and the next thing they know, within a year, they had their whole house paid off. Now, I'm not saying that God can't do that. I'm not saying that God doesn't do that. But I think the primary way, the primary expectation that He gives us from giving in scripture is not blessing and growth in our wallet, but rather blessing and growth in the kingdom. And that's really what we should be after. Blessing and growing the kingdom of God because that's the main thing that actually matters. And so I wanna look back just for a second. I know we read verse 10 through 15. I wanna look back for just a second at verse six. and You'll see this principle here. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. In other words, the individual who gives sparingly can expect very little in return. The church who gives sparingly can expect very little in return. But on the flip side, the person who sows generously will also reap generously. The church who gives generously We'll reap generously. These are promises that God makes us. And then he goes on in verse 10 to 15 to explain what some of these look like, some of these blessings look like. First of all, he says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Now think about this. God has promised that as you give, you will become more thankful. That's kind of weird to think about, isn't it? I mean, for most of us, we would say, well, if we made more money or had more things, we would be more thankful. God says if you become more generous, you'll become more thankful. And not only will you become more thankful, but the people that you are giving toward and blessing, they'll become thankful. They'll become thankful to God through your generosity. And because of this, of course, talking about what happens with other people, look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And so they're being thankful to God, but it's supplying needs. And I stand up here this morning as a pastor personally, myself and my family, are supported by your generosity. And I want to tell you how thankful we are for that. I want to tell you how blessed we are because of you all and your generosity. And as a return, we not only are blessed through you and because of you, but my family, we're thankful to God for having us be here at Scottsville Baptist and be able to share in this ministry together. And so personally, I'm, as an individual, part of this. I I experienced this, but I can tell you there are numbers of stories in this church of how your giving has blessed various members within our church. How your giving has blessed many hungry people who live just down the street who are able to come and, and get food or get vouchers for food how people across uh, not only the, the area but across the world are being blessed by being able to hear the gospel because of you. All of this is a blessing to them and a blessing to us and it gives honor and glory to God. And look at verse 14 and 15. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you And then he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Man, what a blessing it is to be able to give to the work of the Lord. What a blessing it is to support one another, to support the kingdom of God. And as we think about glorifying God through our giving, we do it when we pay attention to the details of things like the administration, the collection, the expectations of it. But one of the big ways, I think, that we honor the Lord is when we remember the ultimate reason we give to the work of the Lord. The ultimate reason. Certainly we do it to honor Him. Certainly we do it to see His kingdom grow. But I think the big reason we are compelled to give is because God was the one who first gave to us. And He gave in the greatest way that anybody could possibly give. John 3, 16 says clearly, That God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And that is the good news of the gospel. That is why we are compelled to give, is because God first gave to us. We were enemies of God, but yet God loved us so much that he sent his precious son to die our death to come back to life three days later. And the Bible says that if you trust Jesus as your Savior, you won't have to spend eternity in hell, but rather you can spend eternity in heaven with him and receive all the blessings that go along with it. All of the things that, man, we're so undeserving of and we can't even possibly fathom, we can have, why? Because God gave to us. And so let me just tell you this morning, as we sit through a message on giving, maybe you're new to the church, maybe you've never heard the gospel, maybe you wonder why in the world do Christians give? Well, it's because God gave to us, and he wants to give eternal life to you this morning. If you ask God to forgive you of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation, you will be saved, the Bible says. That's why Christians give. So how do we make sure we stay centered on these things? You know, what if you walk out this door and you don't remember those three points? What if you walk out this door and you think, now what was I supposed to do? You know, next week you think, how much was I supposed to give? Or how was I supposed to, to take part in the offering? Or how was I supposed to think about my expectations? Let me just say this. Overarching principle is it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Luke 12, Jesus put it this way. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourself that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, forget about collecting worldly, earthly money bags, sell it, give it to the poor. Why? Because the treasure in heaven will be far greater than anything we could ask for in this earth. I want you to bow your head with me this morning. I want you to look at your heart today. I don't want you to worry about the person next to you. I want you to just think about your heart. When it comes to giving, how does your heart look? When it comes to your giving toward kingdom work, toward the work of the church, how does your heart look? Do you want to honor the Lord? Now think about just for a second your answer to that question, do you want to honor the Lord? How does that look if you are helping administer our offerings? How does it look when you consider maybe how much you've been giving or your expectations from it? Do all of those things. Does your participation in that honor God? Now as verse seven told us, each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Reflect on your heart. Reflect on what God may be pleased with with you. I want to ask you this, what is one change, think in your mind right now, what is one change you can make today that would help you honor God more in your giving? That when you left worship each week that you could say, I truly honored God. And I want to give you just a second to think about it and to commit that to him in prayer. Father, we know without you, we would have nothing, we are nothing. Lord, forgive us when there are times in our lives that we falsely believe that things belong to us. Father, forgive us where we don't honor you with our hearts and Lord, while we know that this is important, Lord, we, we thank you that you modeled this a giving, generous heart for us because that's who you are. Lord, we're thankful that you held nothing back when you gave your son for us. As each one of us prayerfully consider what you have for us when it comes to giving, what would honor you with our our lives, and our resources. Lord, I pray that we would not only consider this for today, but in an ongoing way to always be a church that glorifies you from the administration, from the the collection, from the expectation of our offerings. Lord, help that start today in us. Continue that work today in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.